Hello everyone, good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Everyday Black History. A happy hump day to all of you out there. I hope so far your week is going well. I hope that uh, the uh, MLK week, as I like to call it, even though it's only one day on a Monday, I, I call it MLK week. I hope so far the MLK week has been going well. And I know I meant to get back to you much sooner um, last week, but you know how it is. Sometimes life gets in the way and, you know, important things come up and you know how it is. You got to do what you got to do. But I hope so far the week has been good to you and, you know, we'll be back. We're back here with uh, more black history. And uh, speaking of MLK Day, I mean, I know... uh, you know, it, 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 it would be a prerequisite for everyday black history to do something on MLK Day. But I usually don't because it's like Martin Luther King's uh, stamp in the world is so, is so, you know, so huge. You know, I mean, we all know about MLK. We all know about his sacrifice and what he's done with civil rights. And it's like there's, there's, there's I mean, I'm sure there's, there's, there's a lot that can be said, more that can be said about him. But... You know, we like to try and focus on uh, other other moments and people in black history that aren't as well known as Dr. Martin Luther King. I mean, but, you know, we can never talk enough about, you know, he what he's done for civil rights and for what he tried to do for, for equality and everything and his stamp in the world. So, you know, we all celebrate as black people. We all celebrate MLK in our own way. Some people don't, but we all just remember what he's done and and um, what he accomplished and what he what what, what he wished to accomplish uh, through his uh, acts of nonviolent protest and, um, and you know uh, the civil rights movement and, and everything and although I'm sure if he was alive now he would he would have wished and thought to himself that we would have come a lot further I mean we still are better off than we were you know before the civil rights movement started so we always give a shout out to MLK. I mean, you know, it's not, we don't just need the day that the calendar tells us, you know, to honor him. We always, just by, uh, you know, some of our actions, we can honor uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. So that's just what I wanted to say about that uh, since I didn't do a post on Monday. <coughs> Excuse me. Since I didn't do a post on Monday. But, uh, um, we're still continuing to talk about uh, black-owned financial institutions. Uh, we have a couple of more episodes in which we're going to be highlighting uh, uh, black-owned banks, and today we're going to uh, talk about two, um, two, two uh, of the top two of the top five black-owned uh, banks in in the country, and um, and then we'll just talk about just some others that are around, and, and even a few that closed, just to kind of show the decline. Um, of black owned banks but we'll also talk about those that are still around that are smaller some are credit unions and that are around in the country and just in case if you were looking to to bank black these may be ones that may you know uh, appeal to you but uh so the first one we're going to highlight is the harbor bank of maryland and the harbor bank of maryland um is a uh it has about seven it has seven branches in the uh uh, Maryland area, uh, Baltimore, uh, you know, the Baltimore, Maryland area, especially, but all over Maryland, they have, uh, a, you know, the Harbor Bank. And uh, it's interesting because, you know, Maryland has one of the largest uh, black populations in the country. So uh, 
but uh you know it's it was open and it opened its doors in 1982 and it um serves the as mentioned the primarily the baltimore area and they uh give you know the typical banking services checking accounts savings accounts uh loans and things of that nature but uh it's um it's uh, uh excuse me it's it also serves other areas um, in Riverdale and uh, in uh, Prince George's County, as well as the uh, Maryland metropolitan area. But uh, when they opened in 1982, they started off with just $2.1 million in assets. And um, as of uh, a few years ago, uh, they had uh, uh, $254 million in total assets. But now, as of now, uh, the Harbor Bank of Maryland has $288 million in uh, total assets and 219 million in uh, total deposits but um as mentioned it, it gives the typical services checking savings credit cards debit cards and they also provide financing for uh, real estate commercial and personal home improvement automobile term loans installment loans things of that nature um it's uh also uh, com- also committed to uh community development as it uh, it announced plans to open a co-working incubator uh, program at its downtown headquarters to support local black-owned startups, as well as community development and uh, ad- advocacy groups. It also received $70 million in federal funding to help revitalize low-income communities. And <clears throat> as mentioned, since Maryland has one of the largest black owned uh, black excuse me populations in the country you know it's important to have you know black banks that fund these communities um just think if you know if maryland you know uh, has more uh black owned banks like harbor bank and other banks that came and just kind of invested into into the community it could be comparable to atlanta now there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of areas in Maryland where there are a lot of affluent uh, African Americans. Trust me, there's a lot of you know lawyers and doctors that live in Maryland. So you know it's not like uh, you know uh, Maryland is the, the black communities in Maryland are all in shambles. But there are areas in Baltimore that can use a lot of uh, uh, funding to help revitalize it and that can build up those communities so that the city of Baltimore can be a booming city like the city of Atlanta. But trust when I say that Maryland, there's a lot of affluent neighborhoods in Maryland that are that are um, black, black affluent neighborhoods in Maryland where there's doctors and lawyers and entrepreneurs that, li- that are living in these neighborhoods. But as we are promoting black banking, it would be nice if there were more black banks like Harbor Bank of Maryland to uh, invest into the communities that aren't so, that aren't so affluent, so that these communities can be revitalized and there can be more business, uh, black-owned businesses popping up in these communities, and you know, uh, better resources for the schools so that the kids can can get uh, a good education, and so that they can be the next generation of thriving black entrepreneurs and black doctors and uh, lawyers from uh, the state of Maryland and from the city of Baltimore. So um, I'm, I don't know how the services of Harbor Bank of Maryland is, <clears throat> but, you know, if you're in the Maryland area or that DMV area, you know, the Delaware, Maryland, Virginia area, you know, Harbor Bank of Maryland can be 
maybe a possibility of you looking into and, and seeing if they if their services appeal to you in which you can bank with them as a part of being as a being part of the, the bank black movement so that's the uh, Harvard Bank of Maryland and, and they're still they're still around as mentioned seven branches in just the the Maryland area so imagine you know if they grow uh, what you know good they can do in, the, in that community out there and possibly even have a foothold in other uh, areas you know nearby you know um, to increase the black owned banks that we um, need to see in this country and now the other bank that we were going to highlight the other black owned bank we were going to highlight was uh, Liberty uh, Bank and Liberty Bank and uh, and Trust yeah, Liberty Bank and Trust. I want to make sure I got that right. Liberty Bank and Trust, which is uh, located, which was uh, started in New Orleans back in uh, 1972. And um, <clears throat> it started in, in, in New Orleans and with a focus on service, integrity, and an interest in the community and business development, you know, in the black community and black business development. And, it, it, and it's done so well that and just you know, forty, you know, almost fifty years that it has expanded into uh, I think nine states as of now, eight, eight states as of now, um, and it and it continued to grow through uh, partnerships, fruitful partnerships, through acquisitions, effective management, and staff productivity, and it's a bank that the community trusts, and that's one of the most important things is, is the if the communities that you're serving trust you. And that's how you can continue to grow. Now, as mentioned, it started in New Orleans and it establishes its presence in Baton Rouge in 1994. And it continued to grow in that area alone with its third branch that opened up back in 2004. It then moved to uh, Mississippi um, where they acquired their first American bank in Jackson, Mississippi. It expanded into Kansas City <clears throat> when they acquired the Douglas Bank in Kansas City, um, and um, and they acquired another bank in uh, in uh, another part of Missouri as well in 2008. They continue to expand across uh, New Orleans with the acquisition of uh, United Bank and Trust Company, which um, secured uh, uh, their which secured their, all their locations, which they had four locations in the uh, greater New Orleans area. And it was followed, that was followed by the acquisition of Home Federal Savings in Detroit, Michigan, which gave them a footprint there. And that increased its uh, reach to six states at this time. By 2013, they uh, entered the Chicago market with the uh, acquisition of Covenant Bank of Illinois. And um, they even expanded into Alabama, uh, Montgomery and Tuskegee, Alabama in 2015 when they purchased their first Tus- Tuskegee Bank. So through, since starting in 1972 up until now, they've been growing through, as we mentioned, acquisitions of other banks, black-owned banks in all these different cities, and by forming partnerships with these banks, these banks that may be on the verge of closing or bankruptcy or whatever, they were able to acquire them and grow their their footprint into all these different states to expand their reach into all these different black communities and to help preserve these uh, black communities. Now, um, by them doing this naturally, 
they continue to grow in uh, both profits and in assets. And as of now, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Liberty uh, Bank and Trust Company has over uh, $594 million in uh, total assets with over $549 million in total deposits. And they're continuing, they're continuing to grow um, as uh, there was a, a press release recently that they actually brought out another bank. Um, they actually brought out another bank, uh, uh, Metro Bank, in, uh, back in December of last year. So they are just continuing, continuing to grow into uh, you know, many different markets. And as mentioned, every time they grow, they expand their reach into uh, different neighborhoods, into different, um, different states. And they are all, always, they are always uh, in, involved in, 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 in upbuilding the black community. Now, excuse me, my numbers, my numbers were actually wrong. Liberty has approximately 628 million in assets and 541 million in deposits. And when they brought out uh, Metro Bank, um, which was uh, which had a, a one one um, location in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, Metro Bank had 26 million in assets and 21 million in deposits. So, by buying out Metro Bank, they continue to you know grow their total assets and total deposits so that's my bad but that puts them you know right behind one united bank as one of the uh, largest banks uh, one of the top black owned banks in um, the country and as mentioned they have a uh, history of community development um, a few years back uh, back in 2017 or maybe maybe it's a little bit further than back further than that they actually um, helped to preserve a, uh, or to make a landmark, the, the home of one of the black entrepreneurs from the New Orleans area, a man by the name of, of Smith Wendell Green. And uh, Smith Wendell Green was a man who was uh, born enslaved in 1861, but he became a prominent civic leader. He was a, a successful black businessman who owned a grocery store, a print shop, a bar, and an insurance agency. And he was also one of the founding members of a uh, black fraternal order by the name of uh, the Knights of uh, Pythias. And um, uh, uh, back then, they uh, brought two lots in the downtown New Orleans area. And one of the lots was to be a home for the, for the organization, the fraternal organization. And the other lot was to be a home uh, for, um, for uh, uh, Smith, Smith Green. And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, that home was the was like the beacon or the or, or like the, the showpiece uh, for black people throughout the South. And it played an important role in supporting the black community. It was a place where, you know, um, all the black luminaries, you know, hung out, you know, the 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 uh, academics, the entrepreneurs, they all, you know, hung out at the house and uh, the. Uh, the Knights of uh, Pythias, their, their temple housed a barbershop, a theater, an opera house, and uh, the offices for black-owned insurance companies and other businesses. So, you know, these these two lots, you know, was like a, it, it was a place that deserved to be preserved. And uh, Liberty Bank and Trust uh, was responsible, as well as, you know, um, other preservationists and the uh, U.S. Veterans Administration. Uh, they all, you know, came together to make sure that the house wasn't 
wasn't uh, demolished. The uh, current owners of the property, when they heard the history of the property, they worked with Liberty Bank and Trust, the U.S. Veterans Administration, and um, other pres- preservationists to make sure that the place was uh, uh, gained landmark status and uh, that it's a place that can become kind of like a, a museum so that people can go and see um, the history of this place and what it meant to the black community as a uh, place where people can look to and and, and and look for something to achieve to. Because here was a man, you know, uh, Smith uh, Wendell Green, who was um, the richest man in New Orleans when he died. He was a millionaire. And when he died, um, <clears throat> he was worth over $10 million. So, and he died, you know, a long time ago, obviously, if you're born in 1861, he died during the uh, early 20th century, but he died as a very wealthy man. So it was important that they preserve that history of that home and uh, use it as a showcase to the black community in New Orleans where, as, as a place that they can look to um, because, you know, of the history behind it. So, you know, as mentioned, you know, Liberty, Liberty Bank and Trust, they are involved in the communities, helping to reserve, you know, landmarks like that and helping to build up communities. And they're continuing to grow through acquisitions and, and effective management. So that's another bank, you know, if you're looking to, uh, uh, you know, Bank Black, Liberty Bank and Trust is a place that, you know, is good for that because, you can see that they're just continuing to grow. I mean, they, just a couple of months ago, they brought out another bank, Metro Bank in, in Kentucky. So they're continuing to grow. Um, they're a very effective bank. They have great ratings, um, you know, anywhere you look. So the two banks we cover today, Harbor Bank of Maryland and Liberty Bank and Trust, are, you know, two banks that, you know, can be looked to if you want to, you know, as, as mentioned, if you want to look to Bank Black. Those are two other banks that um, we can look to to bank at. Now, we covered all the top five banks, the top five black-owned banks in this country. One United Bank, um, Liberty Bank and Trust Company, Citizens Trust Bank, Industrial Bank, and the Harbor Bank of Maryland. Those are the top five banks um, in, in, in the country, the top five black-owned banks, excuse me, in the country as far as total assets and total deposits and as far as reach. But, you know, we hope that we can... You know, um, you know, if we all put, as mentioned when we first started talking about this, as as uh, as Black Americans, we have 1.2 trillion dollars in spending power. So if we start to just put some of that money into Black-owned banks, you know, we can you know grow the the amount of Black-owned banks that are in the country. And as we mentioned, the importance of these banks because they help with home ownership. They help with, and more importantly, business ownership because owning a business can empower, you know, you individually, it can empower the community because, you know, younger people see business ownership. Most most black business entrepreneurs have someone in their family or in their community that own, you know, a business or businesses that inspire them to want to become an entrepreneur, that inspire them to want to work for their for themselves as a part as opposed to working from, for someone. I mean, not, not that there's anything wrong with working for someone. If you got a good job and a good employment and you're providing for your family, but it's nothing better than, you know, being able to, you know, work for yourself, you know, and be your own boss, especially if you make a great living doing it. And these black owned banks help to facilitate that. So, you know, those are the top five ones in the country. 
Um, as mentioned in our next episode, we're gonna just talk about other black-owned banks that are that are in America, uh, that are in the country, and you know that you can look to if you want to bank black. And we're also gonna talk about just some that closed, because there were some that closed that were just a few years ago considered like you know. Uh, in the top 10 largest black-owned banks in the country, you know, and then a few years later, they closed for a variety of reasons, you know, but um, we're just going to, you know, cover that as we, you know, continue and soon conclude uh, talking about um, black, black-owned black financial institutions and the importance of such, but, you know, we're, we're going to just continue talking about um, the importance of the black dollar, and with such a large uh, spending, you know, spending rate that we as black Americans have, you know, we can put our money into so many different areas, black businesses especially, and we're going to cover some of those. Some of them, you know, some of them are interesting, you know, ways in which we can, you know, spend our money and, and help black businesses thrive as well, because we can spend our money, we can spend the black dollar in black owned businesses, you know, but we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, that concludes this episode of Everyday Black History. And um, we'll be coming at you soon with more black history and talking about more black-owned banks and the importance of black-owned financial institutions. So just stay tuned for the next episode.